are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are... Ian Benz, Associate Professor of Elementary Science Education at UNC Charlotte. And if I lived on Mars, I would the thing I would miss the most about Earth is fresh air. Rachel Jackson, Rabbi to Goodis Israel, Hendersonville, North Carolina. And if I lived on Mars, I would miss all the people that weren't with me. Zach Jackson, UCC pastor in Reading, Pennsylvania. And what I would miss most is the freedom to not worry about dying all the time. <laughs> that. Yeah. A hundred times, yes. <laughs> Kendra Holtmore, PhD student at Boston University. And the thing I would miss if I lived on Mars is going to the beach, hmm. animals, plants, everything. The whole, the whole <laughs> planet's a beach. Yeah, but like, can you I, go I, I, onto I, the beach in Mars in your bathing suit <laughs> and like not be wearing a helmet? No. Um, the I answer mean, is no. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> I I just want to I just want to say that so many of our opening questions are like funny and silly and we have all these cute answers and today was deep like today was just like breathing <laughs> and love <laughs> yeah but see but like I said like, no one said the live fear television of I'm, like it's, I'm bringing all my family and friends with me little right and then in yeah. the Mars habitat I would have animals. Right, so it's not like you know my my pets would be there. So you know, that's why I'm not going to miss them. Why would you have animals there? Because I want my pets. It's it's like yeah, okay, you're getting Mr. denied. Your Mars application. No, is look, man. look, okay, because yeah, you're not going to be in the first crop. <laughs> yeah. I think. No, I mean, I think they're gonna going to wait a while. You, you bring them with you're you. They're your emotional support, food. right? Right. So they're food. They're <laughs> your emotional, your emotional food. support when you go on an airplane. That's why you know. Although they don't allow that anymore. Yeah. Nope. No, just just trained yeah. dogs. Sorry, no emotional support alligators that's anymore. No more peacocks. Mm, that's too yeah. bad. They're very reassuring. <laughs> so we are today finishing up our mini series on space by talking about what life looks like outside of, well, Earth, because. As long as we don't blow ourselves up in the next little while, um, chances are we're going to become an interplanetary species. And I mean, there's that's a big if. Um, <laughs> I, we haven't proven ourselves to be very responsible with, you know, nuclear technology and whatnot. But um, should we survive? Uh, the plan is to have permanent settlements on the moon, permanent settlements on Mars, and then permanent settlements on various interplanetary spacecrafts as we further explore the rest of our solar system. Um, and that's, I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that would be in science fiction, but the thing about the progress of technology is it always seems to creep up on you. Like, have you, have you been watching any of the videos of the, of the, um, uh, what is it called? Starship from SpaceX. This gigantic silver rocket that looks straight out of like Total the sci-fi. 1950s sci-fi yeah. mm -hmm. that is, 
not only and here's here's a fun thing about it that not only is it designed to like take people to Mars eventually and to take up massive amounts of things into space, they're also creating into it a space junk cleaning service as a part of that rocket. So as per our last episode, Elon Musk is on top of this. Um, How how does the space junk uh, cleaning work? Like what, what happens? What's the idea? Well, there's a partnership with Hoover and they are developed. No, they're not. There's already <laughs> I was like, a vacuum okay, in space. So they everything don't need that. about space is hard to that believe, but I cannot tell if Zach is joking right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most expensive part about cleaning space junk is getting the cleaning instruments into orbit. So if if we're developing small satellites, these kind of micro satellites that are just a couple pounds, then you can attach a couple of them to every mission that they send up is, is essentially what they're talking about doing. So you're sending up some giant satellite or some astronauts and then also a dozen little cleaning bots. So it's not actually the rocket itself doing the cleaning, but they're going to work that into future so missions. Um, yeah, well, because they want to create a permanent residency in space. And this is something Elon Musk has been talking about for years. I think he said it's the reason why he created SpaceX in the first place was because he wanted to personally go to Mars. And it's the sort of thing that crazy billionaires are able to do. He's essentially Tony Stark. Um, (laughs) And so they're working on it. We've got whole societies, nonprofits, for-profits who are working this out. I mean, there's a whole lot of logistics that we're going to have to work out, um, stepping stones along the way. Um, And then also like some really dramatic and interesting um, socio-political implications Mm -hmm. as well. I I cannot go the length of this episode without dropping a few references and recommendations to The Expanse. And even just... Even just as we are talking, like everything that Zach is saying about, you know, um, billionaires being the ones to really be behind all of these pushes to get to Mars and all the technological advancements and everything that goes into this. If you are not familiar with The Expanse, you should watch it. It's a great sci-fi show. But it feels to me as though we are just like living out the plot because basically what happens or like the setup in The Expanse that I think makes a lot of sense to our real life scenario is that Mars is going to be some technologically advanced militarized colony with all this cool gear and uh, that will be its advantage, but it will still be dependent on the resources and oxygen and everything of Earth. And so even though Earthlings left behind might dream about the cool life on Mars and all the adventure going on. At least we don't have to worry about dying from lack of oxygen every day. So, you know, pros and cons, (laughs) but all that to say, it's a great show. (laughs) So I I haven't watched any of this show. Me neither. But are you saying that the the people on Mars are dependent on regular shipments The the project of Mars, which I think, again, is like the project in real life that we're talking about of colonizing Mars. Um, But in the show, the goal of um, Martians is to terraform Mars and eventually make it a sustainable 
habitable environment that is less dependent on the resources of Earth. Um, but it's not there yet. And so even though they, they do have a lot of machinery and like fancy high-tech equipment and like military machines, they, they still can't live without Earth. So like they're not in a position where they would be like going to going in a all out war against Earth because that would hurt them too. Um, and then there's also like a there's already some colonies in the asteroid belt, and so it's actually a dynamic between three different human societies: Earth Earthers, as they're called, um, Martians, and Belters. So this is where we're going. Belters. Seems like they could have come up with a better name for that. But well, and, and it's worth pointing out for um, uh, so terraforming. I mean, literally means earth making, and the point of the the idea behind it is that you can take a dead planet and you can basically do what we're doing to our planet, um, but for the better. So you could pump <laughs> right. it with uh, greenhouse gases and create a warm uh, blanket around the planet, which in Mars's case would melt the ice caps and you'd have running water and then you could create breathable air and the hopefully the cycles of vegetation that would then continue to replenish and all of that stuff that uh, that's kind of the dream. Well, I mean, millions of ethical considerations um, aside, that would be the ideal because then you have a society that's not dependent on Earth. So if Earth should get hit by an asteroid or something, then the people on Mars could be self-sufficient. But one of the major obstacles to that, and I mean, I say that realizing that everything is a major obstacle to that, is that the reason why Mars doesn't really have an atmosphere right now is because it doesn't really have a magnetosphere. It doesn't have a molten metallic core like Earth, which generates this giant magnetosphere, which then cosmic rays hit our planet and they burn off or they get deflected and it makes the beautiful northern lights. And Mars doesn't have that. And so when it gets hit with cosmic rays, it literally gets stripped naked. Like the, the sun is stripping it of all of its atmosphere as well as, um, and without the atmosphere, actually, when, um, when there are storms that kick up dust and metal and ice and whatnot into the atmosphere, it then just gets sent into deep space. So like Mars is getting smaller over time because it doesn't have a magnetosphere, an atmosphere to protect it like we do. So in order to have an atmosphere that stays on Mars, you either need to figure out a way to generate a planet-wide magnetosphere or find ways to continually replenish the, uh, the gases in, in that artificial atmosphere. Um, the first one being unimaginably complicated and the second one being not exactly sustainable because of you know conservation of energy and thermodynamics and all that but that would be um, if if the goal were to be where people lived independent like we did here right without with yes. not in modules and all that kind of stuff right right so yeah like like rachel said independent. i did learn recently that um some of the debris from mars um it there are like meteor meteorites embedded in the ice in Antarctica that 
there are like science teams mm-hmm. that send out mm-hmm. um, like scouting trips basically to collect these rocks and try to learn something about Mars uh, from them. And I thought that's really cool because <sighs> I want to go to Antarctica, but that's besides the point. Me too. There's there's a base in Antarctica that is owned by the Mars Society that is one of those kind of biosphere kind of projects where they're putting people in this enclosure in this permanently icy place and having them live for long periods of time and do experiments to simulate what it would be like to have astronauts in the polar regions of Mars and working out some of the complications before we send uh, people there. How do you sign up for that? So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would think you go to marssociety.org and you find their contact. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they allow cats, yeah. Those. I mean, there was a cat on the spaceship in Aliens. Yeah, my cat's right? going to be and really if, talented. If she can have a cat. Uh, yeah. Special. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not claw its way out. <laughs> There's also um, Pokemon Go in, also, oh, in, yeah. in Antarctica. Oh, yeah, I mean, what else she's do you need, now. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they just got COVID a couple of weeks ago. So yes, now every continent has they had really it. They really do have it all. They have it all. <laughs> Well, and I think, too, oh, we're talking a lot about, you know, the technology involved in it, but then you have to look at, too, the impact on humans, right? The travel, the living in, living in space for the travel to Mars, the living on Mars and what that will do. Um, there's a show on Netflix we're watching now called Away um, that is about a mission to Mars. And it's, I mean, it's a fascinating show. They sadly canceled it after one season. But um, and on... So the first season has, is all about the trip and they're supposed to be there for, I think the overall trip and mission mission itself is like three years, but anyway, so they're on their way and one of the people start having issues with his eyesight and they talk about space blindness and, you know, and the ship that they're on, they're able to do the, the spinning part of it so that where they sleep has artificial um, gravity right so that they can sleep down there without having to float around and stuff and it's it's just interesting to see that storyline play out a little bit on the impact on his eyesight and knowing about space blindness and everything and it made me think about that NASA's twin study that they did with um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott and Mark Kelly you know they're they're the identical mm-hmm. twin astronauts who were up there and I I put it in the chat a link to that but um the identical twins who who did this and one of them went up I think it was Scott went up and was up there for 360 days or something like that. And Mark stayed yeah. down here. And obviously they had both been in space before, but the findings from that were really interesting seeing that and even the impact on the human body. But they're talking about the fact that that one study, even though they had multiple teams studying the impacts on the human body, that how much that will advance our, our understanding when it comes to space travel and long-term space travel. Now, can, can you explain a little bit more why um, being in space messes up your eye? I can certainly try. Um, so from what I understand, what they were saying is, is that, um, let's see. So it talked about his, the fluid in your body, right? So, and they said that the study revealed that Scott's fluids shifted to his upper body and it's structural changes to his eyes itself. So obviously the gravity mm-hmm. of earth is keeping the fluid 
I guess either, you know, not in the upper body all the time. And being that it shifted up into the upper body, it added, I guess, different types of pressure on his vision. So, um, yeah, but they were able to learn from that. And I don't remember all the takeaway from it, but they just talked about learning. How can that impact your vision? Your body is designed to, it has evolved for so long to live in this gravity. And so all of your fluid and all of your organs are meant to be here. And so if you don't have that pressure, Mm -hmm. then things like your eyes start to stop working as much. Your bone density changes. And so you need to be able to create some artificial gravity for those long, long trips. But Mars has less gravity. 38%. Yep. 38%. It's at 38. Yeah, it's at 38%, which if you're thinking like, well, how much would I weigh on Mars? For every 100 pounds that you are here, you're 38 pounds on Mars. Yep. So about 38%. Yeah. So if we're thinking about like not even travelers to Mars, but like people who are born on Mars Mm -hmm. and who develop in in utero, Mm -hmm. in that sort of gravitational difference. Um, You've got millions of years of human evolution up against these new gravitational forces, as well as um, living with uh, much less sunlight, because it's farther away, obviously. So (laughs) you can imagine a bright day on Mars is kind of like an overcast day here Mm -hmm. in terms of light. And... um, one thing I was reading was saying that um, because breaking a bone on Mars would be a lot more, there'd be a lot more issues. Um, you don't want to get hurt when you're away from Earth to begin with. Um, people would probably tend to favor C-sections over natural birth. And studies have shown that the increase in C-sections in the world now has led to a, an overall increase in head size um, because kids with bigger heads are able to be born healthy and alive. And so if we're imagining what like Martians would look like over time, um, some people are are talking about it being like um, bigger heads because of that, um, bigger eyes in order to take in the the sun, um, smaller bones and smaller bodies because of the gravity difference and the, the lack of available nutrition. Um, and so you're almost starting to think about like the sci-fi image of a little green, a, a, like a little gray alien, right? With little thing I, with I big heads and big really eyes. I also think it's another uh, like health component is the the change in our microbiome that would happen, or you know maybe it's more yeah it's more than the microbiome, but like all of the microscopic life on Earth would mm-hmm. over time become more of a threat to Martians who have been there for generations. And it makes you wonder, like, if you were an Earthling who wants to go visit Mars, uh, like, it it makes sense that maybe Martians would have to be vaccinated against all of our Earthling diseases or something so that they couldn't, uh, like, catch a disease that it doesn't exist on Mars because... Well, as far as we know, there's not much that exists on Mars. Which, as we know from history, Sorry to interrupt. We know from history that that's already happened. 
right? right. When the, Europeans the, the came immune, over. Right. The immune response to different things, if you've never been around mm-hmm. it, you have no response. And since there's nothing, there are no small microbes living there, there's nothing, right? there's no germs on Mars. So how do you create an immune response if you've never been um what is the word yeah not attacked by it it's just like really interesting because history repeats itself all the time but there will be so much attention Mm -hmm. on this adventure (laughs) to outer space everyone will be paying attention and it'll be really interesting to see if humans are going to be wise enough to think about these things and actually like try not to repeat history (laughs) um who knows? Yeah, I think that's actually what makes me most uncomfortable about this process. I mean, we can talk all about terraforming and looking at the technological challenges therein, right? That there is, there's no um, magnetic core, there's no atmosphere, right? There's no, the planet is shrinking, Oh, we can figure out a way around that, right? Well, our bodies will change, right? We'll adapt because that's what happens. And human beings adapt and fairly quickly, right? 50, 100 generations, will our, our physical structures can adapt. But we haven't really discussed our ethical adaptations, right? When we look at cultures from 4,000 years ago, which is... You know, history is not that old. Right? I think history is about 8,000, 10,000 years old, right? It's not that old. And so when we look at these really formed cultures from only 4,000 years ago, we're really no different than them. And our ethics and our, our innateness hasn't changed over that time. And so if we are then... We can. We might say in the 21st century, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to go to Mars and it's going to be great. And all the people up there are going to be fine. But in a hundred years from now, in a thousand years from now, they're not going to have an immune system. So in a thousand years from now, when some Earth people are like, hey, let's go visit Mars and we'll just take them over because we want it now and we're better than them. Suddenly this this group of people which has created its own habitat for a thousand years living independent now is being attacked by a different peoples and it just feels like it's the same story that we dealt with in with all native peoples and that we've dealt with throughout time um and, if, See, and i think it'll go the other way if we don't address our ethics <laughs> we have a huge issue so where do you think it's gonna go zach i think the people who are more likely to want to go to Mars forever will be the kinds of people who are thinking about the future of humanity. This will be kind of a logical extension of the transhumanism movement Mm -hmm. of people augmenting themselves and kind of taking evolution into their own hands. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it won't be like these naive immune systems over on Mars that have these haven't been exposed to microbes. I think the people who are over there will be the sorts of people on the on the cutting edge of um, like genetic manipulation of humans, of augmenting their bodies with machines, 
Um, the sorts of people who would be like, well, we can't fix Mars in order to live here, so we're going to fix humans to be able to live here. Mm-hmm. And if anything, they are going to be the people who are like super technologically advanced and more free with augmenting humanity. And the people on Earth will be the more traditionalist people who are like fighting for like, you know, we should keep humans pure. We should we, we shouldn't be messing with our DNA. Um, and, and I think we'll start to see a divergence of the species, not just because of time and circumstance and natural selection, which would take thousands of years, Millions, but yeah. in terms of of our intervention within it. Mm-hmm. And I could see there being um there being wars and culture wars, if not physical wars, about you're not human anymore. You're not one of us. You know, um, you don't have a soul anymore. God doesn't love you. You're not real. You're an abomination. You right? Like you see where this is this is going. Um, is is more the way that I imagine this being in a couple hundred years or which, so. Which I agree with. Which I, I I'm not disagreeing with that either. I. That's the problem, though, that it seems as though we ought to figure out our ethical challenges before taking our problems to a new home. Right. Just because you move house. Right. (laughs) If mom and dad are fighting, you know, buying a new house and moving into it isn't going to stop them from fighting anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not that's not how to stop a divorce. I, I think we have to figure all of that out before we decide to permanently be there. Now, do we just want to go and have a science experiment and say, hey, let's go send a few people up there. They're not going to have kids, right? They're like, they're not that, that's not their purpose, right? We've never sent anyone up to the International Space Station to have kids, but they live there for a year or two years. I don't know how the longest, how long the longest person's ever been up there in a consecutive way. It was Scott Kelly. Scott Kelly. It was was only one year. 60 days. And um, at one time, like I think that's know, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In consecutively. So we say, OK, go for 10 years and come back. Like that's a science experiment with hmm. willing human beings. So are we talking a science experiment or are we talking and using that terminology of colonizing, which is such a terrible terminology, because that's exactly what we don't want to be doing Mm. Right. That mentality of colonizing something means I'm I'm in control and I'm going to make it conform to me and everything about it. Um, and and it just it, it makes me so uncomfortable and so angry that we we aren't looking at ourselves first, that we're just moving past the problems. Right. I mean, there's, there's even this idea of. Well, how do you make it equitable, right? If you want people to go there and they don't have enough money, how do you let them live there? Well, all you have to do is you can hitch a ride and then you can just pay for your ride using your labor. That's indentured servitude. Pretty sure we tried to get rid of that for hundreds of years and we're blaming countries right now that still employ that. And yet we're like, hey, it's really cool because it's going to be on Mars. (laughs) That's the wrong package and the wrong, like it's, it does. It just makes me angry at humanity. <clears throat> Dr. King had said that our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. That's beautiful. 
It's a quote that I, I picked up from the uh, the Twitter account of the Office of the U.S. Space Force Chaplain, which uh, Ruth Shaver pointed out to me is a real thing now. So, yes, for those of you thinking about ethics of space, there you go. There's yeah, a good I mean, place to start. I, of course, I think it would be great if we could figure out all our problems before going to Mars, but I absolutely don't think that's going to happen because we've been living on Earth for how long? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, about I, I do years, think that it's just a matter years. of, you know, and, and I think there are people who are already taking seriously um, the idea of, like, what will a government look like on Mars and how 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 does society mm. you know the the first couple generations on mars or however long it takes to acclimate and have like a a, a routine life on mars might be really uh, stringent at first but then maybe several generations later um when people are maybe not like independently living on mars but have a established life on mars then people will want uh, an extra degree of freedom and then there might be more tension uh, like between people living on Mars and it'll just develop into this uh, it'll have a life of its own and it will be it will feel really different and I think mm. uh, people on Earth will always be interested in this story of what happens to humans in outer space but I think over time like it's people who go to Mars will have to figure that out um, without always looking to what's going on on Earth because it's just going to be a different set of circumstances, even though there will be the same kinds of like personality tensions, religious, social, political tensions. Like That, I think, is just part of the package. <laughs> That was a part of even the first, uh, the Biodome 2, right, in, in 91, where they set up this compound to have people live in there for two years and to see if they could basically colonize a part of the desert of Arizona. <laughs> and it was awful. <laughs> like, bad enough, they made a Pauly Shore movie based on it. Um, that I forgot the people that. just. It basically became an episode of, of Big Brother, yeah. where you had these factions and arguments, and the plants were dying, and people were eating the seedlings that they weren't supposed to. Some <sighs> woman got fired, and she was told to leave, and she basically said to them, come and get me. I'm not leaving. And they couldn't, because <laughs> then they would break the seal and ruin the experiment. <laughs> like, this is people why were I just think... oh. people, right? right? I was just going to say... I I think this is why it's really interesting to me to to read on um, all of these forums and, you know, it's not just like lay people talking about this, but scientists and um, scholars discussing religion on Mars. Um, it's, it's just so interesting to see how some people are like, no, we shouldn't be bringing the baggage of Earth to Mars. So like no religion on Mars, no religious people on Mars, hmm. like this argument of should there be freedom of religion on Mars? And naturally, there's a split between people who want that and don't want that. Um, but I just think like <laughs> religious or not religious, 
humans are capable of love and hatred, brutality and compassion. It's it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't really care, like, what, uh, you know, what spirituality or, like, what religions will develop on Mars, like, whatever. That's going to be a very mysterious and interesting thing to watch unfold. But I do think that, like, people will find ways to be religious and spiritual wherever we go. Like, I I don't know what it's going to look like, but I 100% am convinced it will happen because that's just what people do. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I think it's really interesting in this conversation about ethics where people like we want to have tight control and think like, oh, if we don't allow religion, then it will, will be conflict free as if there aren't all these other like sources of conflict. <laughs> you know, like Who ate the seedlings and who didn't? Like we will come up with problems. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you're totally right that spirituality and ritual and, and when those two things are combined often creates a religion. Um they're, they exist. They exist. They have existed throughout time, and I don't see why they wouldn't exist. And similar to other religions, other cultures, other civilizations, I think that's a, that's the term that I like the most. That a civilization shows up. They don't. They didn't just appear, right? That the civil the people showed up from somewhere else, and they have their own baggage. So even if the civilization, even if the building itself just appears on Mars or just appears on the moon, the people there are coming with their own civilizations and then having to discuss together to create, okay, how are we creating this? And I think something new will come out of it. I mean, that's what, spoiler alert, that's what every religion ever has done. (laughs) (laughs) None of us created something brand I mean maybe we created small things that are brand new but then we you know borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and borrowed to create something and I think new. that there's like um, well one gosh. of the things so there's an argument out there <laughs> Can, one of the things I'm curious about or that I kind of want to go back to that show I was talking about away one of the things that I realized the other day watching it is that there's the a science and religion theme throughout the entire show one of the characters is uh, very strong in his Jewish tradition, his Jewish faith, um, and others on the crew are not, and they have an issue emerge, and he's talking about, you know, I believe that this, we are being tested right now, and starts really kind of getting into that conversation that God is testing us and everything, and one of the people responds saying, no, I don't, this is not about your God, you know, this is not about your God testing, and he gets into the... Um, He's kind of talks about, no, that's that's exactly what I mean. And talking about that we have everything we need right here to figure this out because they're dealing with a, a life or death type problem. Of course, it's drama. But he says what he's trying to point out to them. And I, and I loved this quote. And it kind of goes throughout this episode where he got this notion from as a kid. But he said, it's not about faith in God. It's about having faith in each other. And so, Kendra, you were talking about no matter where humans go, there will be potentially some sort of spiritual aspect to things, you know, faith-based or whatever. But I just found that really interesting that that was what his perspective was, is while, yes, he prays, he talks about the importance of God to him, in situations like that, he's really emphasizing more on having faith 
and the people around you that to be successful to get things done and stuff like that, which I, I really yeah, like. Yeah, I think that's a, another really interesting thing about these conversations where people are asking, like, is Mars, um, what's it called? Is Mars one a religious endeavor or what's the other Mars? It's Mars One and oh, like the Mars Society. Like, is the mission of the Mars Society like are these things religious? And I, the response to those questions by some people is no, because this is about science and scientific development and technology. And you know, we're doing research and we're like trying to do like rigorous experimentation and all of these things. We're not asking people to like believe in something or like to, you know, believe if you go to Mars, like to tell them a story where they have to like believe in a, a God or some kind of supernatural being. And and I think that that, uh, that path of the conversation to me just still feels like very Christian. <laughs> it's like a very specific way of thinking about what it means hmm. to be religious and not just Christian, but like catering to like Abrahamic traditions. Um, and by that, I mean like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, that in order to be religious or to like promote religion, that you're like promoting something that's mostly about, or not mostly, but like mostly or partially about beliefs and like relationship with God or something supernatural. And no, that's not like all of what Christianity, Judaism, or Islam is, but it's very, very different than talking about like Taoism or Confucianism, um, which are Chinese religions. And some people wouldn't even describe them as religions. They would call them more like a philosophical system. Um, But those things like Taoism um, is not like you don't need to to like believe in God the Father uh, to, to have something that is a religious system, whether it's something that's like a new religious movement from like the 20th century or something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, like religion is more than about just like belief in supernatural beings. And so I think that it's just like, like what you're referring to in the show, Ian, um, there are a lot of people that have given a lot of thought to how religion is or can be something that is very um, ritualistic and communal and about something that's sacred in the community and not something that has to be supernatural necessarily. And people will find what the sacred is for them. And I think that if you're talking about like um, Emile Durkheim, who's like a famous um, scholar in religious studies for people who don't know, but like his, his big thing is that the sacred is in the community. And I think that when we're talking about going anywhere in outer space, mm. what you're really going to need is community, like collective action and unification in a community when all around you are like life-threatening things. <laughs> like it's just constant. I think that will possibly <laughs> make a, a really interesting and maybe even a stronger version of this sort of communal religion where the sacred to go out in in space and explore, or maybe even something like uh, the overview effect, which is a common experience of astronauts who see the earth from outer space and they feel the sense of awe and uh, like a sense of like the fragility of earth and this feeling of wanting to protect home, the pale blue dot. Um, I think that that 
sensation of mm-hmm. awe and uh, a feeling of like smallness as a human, but this desire to be like together with other humans, like all of these feelings I think will be really central um, to to whether, you know, uh, to the spiritual experiences of people going into outer space and whether or not they want to call that religion or religious, I don't really care, but I think that's going to be a really important piece of humanity going forward. So there's a push amongst some of these sorts of societies that when we do send these missions up, that in addition to sending up engineers, scientists, navigators, that we also intentionally include artists, um, people who are in touch with that kind of, that sort of spirituality. Um, Maybe not necessarily a, a mission chaplain, but somebody who can help to communicate these feelings through song, art, poetry, whatever it may be. Um, Just somebody who is able to bring people together in a different sort of a way than just hierarchy, right? You're not going to get that through the Space Force, but, you know, some other organization, agency, or whatnot. I think that's fascinating that, and it's appropriate that you mentioned that now as we're recording this in February of 2021. And over the last year, one of the things that most of us have missed out on is community in the arts. Mm-hmm. And we're realizing some for the first time and some just, you know, continuously realizing that this is kind of what adds to our lives and mul- that makes our lives multidimensional. And it's whether that's whatever the art is, whether that's canvas or theater or music or words. There's something that allows that to tap into a different part of ourselves. And I I don't know if we could have had such recognition in a larger conversation a year ago. Mm. Right. Had that recognition really been there a year ago that perhaps, you know, perhaps this these groups were talking about it like, yeah, 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 we should, you know, just to have diversity and do our due diligence and make sure that we have someone there. But not in this is like, no, we actually need this. This this is crucial to our existence. We 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 need it as much as we need air. So recently, this um, Japanese billionaire named um, uh, Yusaku Mizawa, I may be mispronouncing that, I'm sorry, um, bought a ticket um, for uh, a a flight to the moon (laughs) Um, that uh, aboard a a SpaceX Starship, which is the sci-fi looking um, spacecraft that I was just talking about earlier. Um, it, for 2023, it was a six-day mission um, with obviously some people who actually know how to fly the thing. <laughs> but he also plans to take with him six to eight artists who will be a part of this project 
um, with art created before, during, and after the mission. Wow. Um, which he's calling Dear Moon and was asking for submissions for this. And I am not entirely sure if they have finalized. They were supposed to finalize it by now, but I don't think that they have yet. So I think there might still be um, space available on dearmoon.earth is the... uh, it's the website. Yeah. Did you know that there's a dot earth domain, no. by the way? Like, yeah. man, that's, that's, that's that pretty great. Dot um, Mars, dot moon. Right. But the idea being <laughs> that we have just been sending scientists up into space. Yeah. Um, and one teacher, and that didn't end very well. We just hit yeah. the, uh, the anniversary of the Challenger. Um, but... We keep hearing about this overview effect and what it does to people to go into space, but we haven't sent people up there who are like professional emotion communicators. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very expensive art project. (laughs) Um, You know, if you have a billion dollars, what else are you going to spend it on? Like doing something great (laughs) for everyone to enjoy, plus an awesome vacation for half a dozen people. I mean... (sighs) Right. You can buy a couple more yachts or, or you can send eight artists to the moon right, and create the most unique expression That's of humanity cool. that we have ever done. That's intense. Right? I learned about this because um, one of my favorite YouTubers um, was trying to get on that flight. Hmm. Um, the guy from uh, Vindegarten, who I don't know if you've seen the video with the, the marble machine where he's got this amazingly intricate machine that he built that has thousands of marbles in it that make music. When you turn the crank, he's been building this Marble Machine X for years now. His channel is (laughs) amazing. Uh, Wintergarten is the name of the band. I can't think of his first name now. But anyway, um, that's worth it. And uh, any of you artists who are out there, go for it. (laughs) Shoot for the moon. (laughs) That's funny. And I'm sure they've used that. Yeah, and all this stuff will certainly be in our show notes this week. Um, it's really very powerful. Although when I'm looking at the website, I just gotta say as I'm I'm looking at it, um, it doesn't look like they're going to land on the moon. No, it's just gonna be um, like an 11 day flyby. Right. Um, I don't know yeah. if those are 11 days or stages of the trip, only because we're talking, and so I don't want to investigate it at this exact second. Um, <laughs> oh, no, there it is. There it is. It has it has the dates. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, he was also yeah. looking for a girlfriend to take, <laughs> um, which he okay, has That's a little bit more creepy. Stopped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're going to advertise yourself out there, it's like, well, look, I'm a billionaire and you get to go to the moon. So, you know, I appreciate the transparent (laughs) sugar daddies, you know, Mm. like. (laughs) 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 I love that. I I do. I thank you for introducing us to that, Zach, because it it as much as like. I love seeing the world through a scientific lens. The longer I spend in the rabbit, the more I also realize how 
unbelievably complicated and multidimensional each of us is. And some people are just better at expressing those parts of themselves than other people are, but we all need it. So since we all can't be engineers or artists, the rest of us can at least enjoy what they do. Um, and that just and that makes me that gives me hope for humanity, um, which puts me back on my optimism side, which is very different than where we started this conversation. It was just like <laughs> humanity just wants to kill each other. We shouldn't do this. But this makes me feel much better. <laughs> but the artists will but save us. They will. They will right? save us. Authors and musicians and artists working over overtime is what took down the the USSR and you know <laughs> sanctions also probably helped with that and you know but working together think, yeah working together I think the arts have a way of re reawakening our common humanity and if we can't agree on religion um, there's still something very spiritual about art that can bring us together across um, across all the things that divide us mm -hmm. I totally agree I've I recently heard a song called Broken Instruments by Kelsey Shaw. Um, there's an attempt at a musical, but, you know, pandemic and stuff. So not not yet happening. I'm talking about a violin and this idea that broken instruments will play again. That no matter no matter what, you just give it the love and the care and the compassion no matter how broken it is, it'll still play beautiful music. And of course, relating to us as humans, um, that's, it's not a, it's not a far stretch of a metaphor <laughs> to feel that, especially using a violin as an idea, because right? it sounds a lot like a human, the violin. Um, there was a project in, in Philadelphia um, to take the broken instruments from, um, from the, from the schools, from the band's, um, and to create an orchestra hmm. w using the broken instruments. It's called this Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. Yes. And then after they made the music, then they uh, they put the instruments up for auction that they could be adopted by people. And then the money raised would buy new instruments for kids. And it's so unique. And the sounds that come out of these things are unlike anything else obviously hmm. and with the right sort of creativity you can make that's anything cool. sound beautiful yeah and that's so different than a project that i was thinking of um which was much earlier than that of um so jewish musicians during world war ii were often treated a little bit better in concentration camps because they played for the nazi soldiers um, but they were almost all of them were still inevitably killed but what they did, what would they do with their instruments? So some, um, right, some people were said, okay, you're going on this train ride, take only your prized possessions, you know, two suitcases or something. And so some, some people would take their violins. Right? It's a very, very Jewish instrument from the mm. mid 20th century. Um, and then when they realized what was happening, they'd throw it out of the car. Um, and then it would just, you know, it would break because it's on a train and, and someone would find it and, and take it. Or they would intentionally do that. And they say, oh, it's just a violin. And they put pictures of their family and they put their poems and they put things in there. And then as they were going, so someone, so the officers couldn't confiscate it from them or destroy it in their houses that they left behind, they would throw it off the tracks and someone else would know where to go get them. Um, 
or the instruments that were used actually in the concentration camps and restringing them and remaking them. And it's called Violins of Hope. Right, really taking taking the pain and the tragedies and the traumas and putting hope in there and making it just this beautiful sound and and this um this artist who decided to channel all that pain and do something very beautiful with it. Um, I know this is not where we're going with the the Mars conversation, but I think this is the conversation, right? So when we when we think about these first few generations that are going to be up on Mars, where are their artists going to be? How are they going to deal with the trauma of being away from all the people that they love? Because no offense to the Pollyannish idea that, that Ian has that he would take everyone that he loves, that's not, that's not going to be the reality for the people that actually choose to be there, that actually get to go. So what is it, what is it going to be like knowing that your best friend died and you can't go to the funeral because you're eight months away. <laughs> you know, I was like, um, I'll be there in a year, right? That you can't, what is that going to be like? How are we going to repair? How is it, right? We, we as a people have been dealing with um, systemic grief for almost a year because of the pandemic. And we're realizing that societal traumas and societal griefs is really impacting us. How can that, how can we learn from this and take that information and apply it to the colonies that we're, we're hoping to create so that the mental health and the societal health of these civilizations that we're intentionally putting there have the ability to have hope, have the ability to, to play again to to love to enjoy to just yeah to just be have hope this has been episode 72 of the down the wormhole podcast thanks for coming on this journey with us and especially to all of you who have helped us to spread this work by sharing with your friends or leaving a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts honestly that's really huge Thanks also to our patrons on Patreon for helping us to make this podcast happen. A few weeks ago, a couple of us watched Netflix movies together. That was fun. You can expect some extra content to be added to Patreon this week, so check your email. Everyone else, you can go to patreon.com slash down the wormhole podcast to check out the new perks and to see all the fun stuff that we have planned. Tune in next week as we continue our Sinai and Synapses interview series with science and religion educator and reconciliation machine, Matthew Groves. It's a good one, so stay tuned. <laughs>